Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello and hello and welcome back. High energy today. Yeah, it's trying to be. We're a little tired, but we're trying to be awake. Very awake, because this is a awakening episode. Bum, bum, bum. I am the great and powerful Mr. He. And I am Nick Knack, Patty Whack, give a J a bone. It's <laughs> my new nickname. It's very it's, effective. Together we're Crazy the Corn Podcast, bringing you legends, myths, folklore from all around the world. If you have corn, we'll cover it. Don't worry. Give us some time. Yes. There's a lot of- Sorry, Antarctica. Maybe not. Sorry, one day though. I've mailed it down there. There's so whenever of, the package gets received, we'll be able to cover stuff from Antarctica. There's a lot of good corn folklore and a lot of good books about corn and various corn oh my things. Gosh. Okay, moving on. That's you should have said that on Patreon, not on the main show. No, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, never mind. Don't say anything. Come on. So we're gonna attempt our first crack at the Patterson Gimlin incident and film. Uh historical yes this is literally one of the biggest things as far as a bigfooter a cryptozoologist everybody's always asking where's the proof out there Mm -hmm. and why don't we ever get a good photo or anything like that good photo good video anything yeah and we, we could save our opinions for the end but i think this is an example of the evidence that most people are requesting yes and we do, we're going to go over the story, we're going to do uh, one uh, film analysis, um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of film analysis. This is the most, I don't know if you know this, the Passion Gimlin film is the most looked at by organizations of any film on the planet. Basically, it's the most analyzed, analyzed piece of the film. Most scrutinized, most viewed, most. And there are hundreds for both sides, but we'll talk about that later. But positive and negative? Yeah. Gotcha. If you want to if you want to believe Patty's a Bigfoot or if you want to believe Patty's a hoax. Gotcha. You can find a photo anal- or a video analysis that tells you what you want to hear. Gotcha. Uh but yeah, so just for that. So we're gonna talk a little bit about Patterson and Gimlin's background. Uh so Patterson said he first became interested in Bigfoot after reading an article about the creature by Ivan T. Sanderson. Hey. So one legend to another. Yeah, we talked about him on our, in, in a previous episode on this. Oh, yeah. The True Magazine, in True Magazine, in December 1959. In 1961, Sanderson published the Encyclopedia of, or the Encyclopedic Abominable Snowman Legends Come to Life. I believe that's on that shelf. That's one of the books I have wrapped. Oh, nice. Uh, the worldwide survey of accounts of Bigfoot type creatures, including recent tracks, finds, etc., but specifically in the Bluff Creek area which heightened his interest. Uh, beep. Uh, yeah. Martin's Place wrote, in 1962, he visited Bluff Creek and talked uh, with a whole host 
of Bigfoot believers. In 1964, he returned and met a timber cruiser named Pat uh, Graves, who drove him into Lard's Meadows. There, Patterson saw fresh tracks for him, an almost unbelievably exciting, spine-chilling experience. So he goes out, basically, and Ivan T. Sanderson's article catches his interest. He reads his book, and basically they have sightings kind of just down the road, mm-hmm. like an area of high interest. He goes down, starts working, and this is Patterson. Right. Uh, and gets all kinds of Bigfoot believers, witnesses, and gets it to a timber cruiser, which is this guy kind of drives out finding new timber lands to okay. harvest. And he finds fresh tracks. So this is kind of the hook for Patterson. This is what does it for him. He's yeah. like, all right, I got to see this thing. Yeah. Uh, with a tremendous feat, it would be what a scientific breakthrough if he could com- or if he could obtain unshakable evidence of these tracks or of what made these tracks of an unknown creature and that they were not a prankster. Hmm. So if he succeeded, he would be famous and rich. Alas, fame and fortune were not granted that year, nor the next, nor the next. Patterson invested thousands of hours and thousands of dollars uh, combining Bigfoot and Sasquatch territory. He fought constantly, ridiculed, in a shortage of funds. He founded the North or the Northwest Research Foundation. Through it, he solicited funds. Uh, their response was encouraging and, and, and basically made him... Uh, wanted to lead several expeditions, which he did. Mm-hmm. In 1966, he published a paperback book of his own experiences, or at his own expense, sorry. He added uh, that income from the sales of it and his lectures to the search fund. And each wilderness uh, jaunt failed to see or capture the monster. One by one, the thrill seekers dropped out, but Patterson never gave up. So Patterson, I believe, is not alive anymore. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know when he died, but he's not been alive for a while. Yes. Gimlin's still alive. Uh, but so this this kind of talking about that, that he, Patterson never gave up. Patterson kept looking. He he sounds very similar to just basically everyone even just today that get intrigued by it and it, invest money and actually going to look for it. So, yeah, that's kind of the thing is that he keeps spending his own money yeah. and his own money mm-hmm. and his own money. And the little bit of money he gets from this... Uh, I want to make that clear, too. Nobody's ever gotten rich off a of Bigfoot. No. No. I, maybe Wild Bill, but that's probably it. He's going to be at a conference with I, us. I can't soon. wait to meet him one day. He's going to be at uh, the Hogging Hills Bigfoot conference with us. So, oh, I cannot wait to meet him. Yes. Big fan. I'm a big fan. I just want to meet him. But So Patterson's book, Do Abominable Snowman of America Really Exist? So keep in mind this... The 60s when the Yeti was really, really big. Mm-hmm. So everybody keeps using it, that it's an abominable snowman, even though it's brown. Right, yeah. I, I always thought that was funny reading. Like, when, especially when I was younger, reading this stuff. I was like, what? You never seen a brown snowman? It's like, no. I mean, I guess they did it in a cow pasture, but. There, yeah, one of them. So the book that, had categorized. It's abominable. Yeah, the book had categorized a little more than a collection of newspaper clippings laced together with Patterson's, uh, Circus poster style poses. Uh, he was a showman for sure, mm. which is fun. Oh, it makes it. He had a lot of fun with it. it makes seems. it way more intriguing. Yeah. Uh, the book, however, contained 20 pages of previously unpublished interviews, letters, 17 drawings by Patterson of the encounters described in his text, five hand drawn maps. Uh, but yeah, so that's what that book had. Oh, sorry. I'm flipping pages. I. 
uh, rare in subsequent Bigfoot books. Uh, he had almost 20 photos and illustrations from others. Uh, the first reprint was in 1960 or 1996 by Chris Murphy, and again reissued by Murphy in 2005 under the new title, The Bigfoot Film uh, Conservancy, with 81 pages of additional material by Murphy. Hmm. So in May and June of 1967, Patterson began filming a documentary or a pseudo documentary, or you know, about cowboys being led by an old miner in a wise Indian tractor on a hunt for Bigfoot. So it's kind of a docu, what do you call that, a docudrama? Yeah. Uh, so he starts kind of, this is kind of his plan he wants to do. Uh, so he wants to make, I think he's trying to get more interest in Bigfooting with right. this idea, which makes sense, you know. Not everybody, and we tell people, like a lot of people that ask about wanting to get into Bigfoot and stuff, you have to really enjoy the woods. Because if you go out 400 times in a really Bigfooty area, you may have three things happen. Right. And most of the time, it's nothing. Exactly. So you got to just enjoy it. So, yeah. The storyline called for Patterson, his Indian guide, Gimlin in a wig. So, mm. steps in Gimlin. I love the man. Yeah. Uh, I just would love to see Gimlin in a wig. Right. I mean, it might be a little uh, uh, distasteful today. But I bet you back then that was really... Uh, oh, I'm sure it was funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Cowboys... And the Cowboys to recall in a flashback of stories of uh, Fred Beck of the 1924 Ape Canyon incident. Mm, previously... Um, a previous episode. Yes. Uh, the, and others as they tracked the beast on horseback. Uh, for actors and cameraman, Patterson used at least nine volunteers, uh, including Gimlin and Bob... Her- Hermes, uh, for day or for three days of shooting, perhaps over the Memorial Day weekend, Patterson would have needed a costume to represent Bigfoot, if the time came to shoot such a cinematic scene. So prior to the October 1967 filming, Patterson apparently visited Los Angeles on this occasion. Patterson drove to Hollywood in 1964 to visit uh, Rockabiller songwriter and guitarist Ju- or Jerry Lee Merritt. Merritt. Uh, but yeah, he was a native then. He was trying to sell his hoop toy invention. So he was an inventor on the side. Hmm. And he did he, he did sell his hoop toy invention. <laughs> uh, Merritt soon moved back and uh, became Patterson's neighbor. And later, his collaborators on his Bigfoot documentary. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot about a lot about this Merritt. So both Patterson and Gimlin had been uh, radio or rodeo riders and amateur boxers. The local champions of a of the, in their weight classes. Patterson had played in high school football, so these are both tough men. Yeah, and they seem to be very driven. Okay, uh, you know they both had all kinds of hobbies, uh, bull riding and boxing. That's pretty uh, tough stuff. Yeah. So in October 1967, Patterson and his friend Gimlin set out on a Six Rivers National Forest in far northern California. We will be in that area very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they not for Bigfoot, but I'm not going to stop Bigfoot if he shows up. <laughs> uh, they drove in Gimlin's truck carrying uh, his provisions, uh, three horses, uh, positioned sideways. So yeah, they they stacked horses in this thing. This this would have been a hell of a sight to see this. Yeah, Patterson chose the area because of the uh, all the reports of the creature in the past, the enormous footprints uh, seen since 1958. 
uh, his familiarity with the area and its residents prior to visit. So he basically been researching this area pretty good. For a long time. Yeah, so he knew people he could talk to for the documentary. He knew the area very well. Uh, and it was very Bigfooty. So perfect, perfect yep. storm for him to go yep. to. The most recent of these reports uh, was the nearby Blue Creek Mountain track find, which I believe I have a Blue Creek track in the other room. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember. That may be the one I gave to Emily's dad. Okay. I want to give him one I didn't have. Gotcha. Just as a cool thing. And not a, not a copy of like one I have. Right, yeah. Uh, which was investigated by journalist John Green, uh, Bigfoot hunter. How do you say that name? I don't want to be... Okay, Renee, oh gosh, Dahinden? Dahinden, I think that's how you say it, yep. And archaeologist Don Abbott, on their, uh, and on and after August 28, 1967, this find was reported to Patterson via his wife, soon therefore by Al Hodgson, owner of Willow Creek Variety Store. Though Gimlin says he doubted the existence of a Sasquatch-like creature, he agreed that Patterson's interest that they should not attempt to shoot one. So, at this point, Bob Gimlin... Was not a believer. Did not believe in Bigfoot. Yeah. And that just... Blows your mind, doesn't it? fills your heart to show that anybody can become a Bigfoot believer. I mean, he is the Bigfoot guy alive say, today. Not just not just any Bigfoot believer, like the Bigfoot yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they both agreed that they shouldn't mess with the thing. Yeah. Uh, if they ever did come across it. All right. So, that's kind of like the preamble... So they kind of... Yeah, you want me to do a little recap? Yeah, yeah, I'll do a little recap. Uh, So Bob and and Patterson meet uh, through various activities they do on the outside. Uh, And they want... So they're kind of making a docudrama about Bigfoot. Patterson's done all kinds of talks and stuff about Bigfoot. He would literally lecture about Bigfoot before it was a thing. thing. Yeah. It making almost no money. And using every bit of of money he could get to put back into it. To go look for Bigfoot, Yes. yes. Uh, Patterson at this, or not Patterson, Gimlin at this time does not believe in Bigfoot, but sees his friend's passion and wants to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's fine, you know, being an actor in his movie. Wearing uh, a wig, being mm-hmm. an Indian guide. Is what? Gimlin Indian? I thought that's what you said in the notes. He was, he oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he played the character of the yes, Indian, Indian guide. guide. The Indian tracker. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, made me laugh. Uh, so they're getting set up. They have other people. They have a, they have a decent sized crew. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. They sit, this is an area that, they find, he, yep. that Patterson has researched previously. Uh, they found fresh tracks there. It's been known for Bigfoot activity. He has a lot of witnesses in this area. Yeah. So it's a good area. And I could see him like wanting to shoot this film basically to promote, to help him like get more funding, you know, so we can oh, yeah. go look oh, yeah. stuff for, for more of it, you know. Not that he's just going out to make a film about something goofy that he just thinks is fun. I don't think it was ever that. I know people paint him in that light. Yeah, uh, we're very biased on the subject. If you can't tell at home, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll admit that uh, naturally. But yeah, I people try to paint it as just a money grab. Mm-hmm. This thing was never going to make any money. It, Nobody it in never Bigfoot did ever's made money. Exactly. It never uh, did before. What was? I can't imagine he's going into this thinking them this is a million dollar idea. I'm sure his lectures probably brought in about twelve bucks. Exactly. Uh, so I think he was really like you're saying, just to spark interest, mm-hmm. just to maybe get it more recognized, well, like just to he, get people out there. Like you said, he was a showman. Yeah, I mean, his books it seemed like it seemed from everything I was reading, he was a bit of a showman, which yeah. is awesome. Which is natural, and it's yeah. natural too. You want to promote. 
you know, your interests and your mm-hmm. things you want to see become reality or something that you know is out there. Like mm-hmm. you said, he had a dying passion for it, obviously. So makes it, it's adding up. He had the rare spark. There it is. Yeah. The it. Yeah. And I think he passed that on to his good friend, Bob. Oh, for sure. Clearly. Uh, yeah. The cowboy hut we'll talk about later. The cowboy hut? Yeah. That's where all the cast come from. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. My okay. latest cast, everybody at home doesn't know, say. is one of the, so Bob Gimlin is getting very old. He's 93, like something like that. 93. 92, threes. He's not doing many conferences anymore. Uh, he's he's not part anymore cast. So they did a kind of a last run of original cast, like proofs that he handmade and signed. And I got one. Almost got two. But, but we that got, lady wanted it more than I did. We got outbid. Yeah. But she was a good lady. She was excited to have it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad it went to somebody that was very excited for it. That, yeah, that's awesome. But it was going to be a giveaway on the show. We got the second one, so <laughs> she took it from you guys. Yep. So hunt her down mm-hmm. if you want it. Uh, so are you ready for the encounter? Absolutely. Now, like I said, this is going to be a chunky episode. So you set the stage. Yep. Now so, these guys are out in their film or out in their field. Do you know why I brought up the Hollywood stuff? Um, it didn't really make sense, did it? I'm I'm only going to speculate that uh, people are going to. You brought it up because people use that as yeah. like an excuse of yeah. Oh, it's a paid film crew from Hollywood or Not something. Not that. The show about getting the suit. Oh, this, yeah, and getting the suit. That's where, because like, it was kind of like, well, how would he have got the suit? You know, these guys are in Northern California. Yeah. They're not very close to Hollywood. But he did have, it just was showing, so for the negative side of this being a fake, Yeah, it shows the connection to Hollywood. He knew people in Hollywood and the possibility of him getting the suit from there. Gotcha. Makes sense. Just so on. Look up the same year of 1967. Look up the King Kong film that came out that year uh-huh. and tell me that they could make a Patterson Gimlin, that, that they could make Patty. Because that thing looks like a turd with black hair glued to it. Well, I don't know if you got... Do you have anything in your notes about the suit it being... Oh, we'll get to that. Does it, does it have that actor or the guy, the famous guy that... I'm not giving him any attention more than I have to. Why is that? The guy that claims that he was in the suit? No, 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 not oh. him. They So, uh, we'll put a pin in it for later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, so that's where we're at. So the encounter, as their stories went, in the early afternoon of Friday, October, 20, or October 20th, 1967, Patterson and Gimlin were riding uh, gently through the northeastern upstream on horseback. So the, uh, the northeast is the woods. Okay. So, uh, on horseback and on the east bank of Bluff Creek. At some time between 1.15 and 1.40 p.m., they came to an overturned tree with a large root system as it as they turned the creek, almost as high as a room. So this is a giant, one of the redwoods, a dead redwood. Oh, geez. It's okay. a big tree. And the, that's kind of the thing well, we'll talk about in a little bit, the photo. Yeah. You don't realize how big that tree is. What, behind Patty? The one kind of in the foreground, the front ground. Of the, the video. Okay. Oh, so, so when they rounded it, there was a log jam, a crow's nest, uh, a leftover from the flood of 64, uh, when they spotted a figure behind it nearly simultaneously. So they come around the corner of this giant tree system, like this giant tree with a, with a huge root wad. Yeah. And a big, like, log jam. Okay. Uh, bad flood happened in 64. Uh, the, the thing was crouching beside the creek on their left. Or standing there, they uh, there's kind of, you know they weren't sure. It was leaning over at least. 
on the opposite bank. Gimlin later described himself as in the mid-state of shock after seeing such a figure. I would be too. Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, you're around the corner and there's just a Bigfoot. Just standing there. And especially because you're out looking, looking for, for Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, how many people today that go out looking for Bigfoot, if they just walked around the corner and there was a Bigfoot, they would not know what to do. No. They had no idea. Right, exactly. Uh, so Patterson initially estimated uh, her height at six feet, six inches roughly, to seven feet. So six and a half to seven feet tall. He later raised his estimates about seven and a half feet. Uh, some later analysis, Arthur, or anthropologist Grover Krantz along, or among them have uh, suggested that later estimates would be about a foot too tall. Uh, Gimlin's estimate was six feet. So Gimlin said six feet. Patterson originally said six to seven feet. And uh, a lot of photo or a lot of video analysis says it's probably close to the six and a half, seven feet tall. Yeah. Which is not short. No, not, not, not short at all. But she's not a big Bigfoot. No, not nothing huge that you're normally used to hearing about. But Mm -hmm. I also think that lends just a little bit more credibility to it because he didn't over sensationalize it, you know, Mm -hmm. saying it's like, oh, a 10 foot monster or something. And then the video evidence corroborates kind of what he had initially said and then him later on in his life saying that she was probably seven and a half feet tall Mm -hmm. that shows that 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 happens to everybody Mm -hmm. your your memory inflates the more you replay a story oh for sure yeah especially one of this caliber oh yeah i bet um but yeah so the film shows what patterson gimlin claimed was a large hairy biped ape-like figure with a short uh, silvery brown or dark reddish brown or black hair covering most of its body. It's kind of hard to tell. The color is a little distorted in these old films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's really dark brown, personally, uh, including its prominent breast. Yes, and which gives her the fem- the feminine uh, name. But the figure was filmed gradually marching at, uh, at the or gradually matching the description of Bigfoot offered by others who had claimed to seen uh, have seen one. So now we're getting into it. Patterson estimated it was about 25 feet away uh, from the creature at his closest. Patterson said that his horse reared up sensing the figure. He spent about 20 seconds uh, basically getting a handle on himself from the saddle. Uh, He got to control his horse, get around to the other side, and get his camera from the saddlebag out and running towards the figure while operating the camera. He yelled, come over to Gimlin, meaning... Uh, to get the gun out. Mm. Gimlin crossed the creek. And so basically, they see this Bigfoot. It stands out, starts walking away. Uh, Patterson's horse is freaking out, which you can see in the video. Yep. Uh, he calms it down, gets out, grabs the camera. It's all about 20 seconds, and then starts running towards the Bigfoot. And that's when he starts he, filming, correct? Yeah, yeah. And he yells at... Yeah, he starts filming this, like why he's with the horse mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. The second the camera's out, it's, it's filming. Uh, and then he yells at Patterson... Or not Patterson, he yells at Gimlin to get the gun. And that was, like I said, they had no intentions of shooting this Bigfoot, but he is running towards it. Yeah. And he wants to make sure that if he's about to die, at least somebody's going to get a shot off yeah. at it. So Gimlin, uh, so Gimlin then crossed the creek on horseback after Patterson uh, had ran well beyond it, riding on a path somewhat to the left of Patterson and somewhat beyond his position. Uh, present analysis, or estimated, or sorry, Patterson estimated that it came within 60 to 90 feet of Patty, the name of the Bigfoot in the video. Then, uh, then rifle in hand, he dismounted, but did not 
point his rifle at the creature. He had the rifle in his hand, never pointed it once at the creature from most accounts. Uh, the figure had walked away from a distance of about 120 feet, 37 meters, before Patterson began to run after it. So it was moving pretty quick before he could start running. Uh, the resulting film, about 59 seconds long at 16 frames per second, is initially quite shaky until Patterson got about 80 feet from the figure. At this point, the figure glances over its right shoulder at the men, and Patterson fell to his knees. Uh, on Kretz's map, this corresponds with frame 267, so we're going to talk about that later. Okay. The map of the, the, the video analysis. Gotcha. Uh, to researcher John Green, Patterson would later characterize the creature's expressions as one of contempt and disgust. You know how it uh, it is when a umpire tells you one more word and you're going out of the game. That's the way it felt. Mm. So he was if he felt like Patty was really upset that they were there, annoyed by very them. annoyed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's a good way. I never thought about it putting it that way about the umpire. Mm-hmm. One more word. One more word and you're out of here. I got a funny story about that. Not to get off topic, but this is good. Um, In the middle of Patterson Gimlin, you think the story's better? It's pretty... Let me finish this section. Okay, okay. Save your empire story. So shortly after this point, steadily in the middle uh, in middle promotion of the film begins, containing a famous look-back frame, 352. So that's the frame number. Uh, that took me a minute to figure that out because there's no reference gotcha. to the frame numbers until later. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm like, what are all these numbers? Right, yeah. What does this mean? Uh, it turned a total of uh, three times. The other times, therefore, being uh, before the film began or while he was running at the fig or at his at the figure, or his finger may have been off the trigger, so mm. it was like a you know he wasn't recording. Mm. So shortly after glancing over its shoulder on the film, the creature disappeared behind a grove of trees for about fourteen seconds, and reappeared in the film's final fifteen seconds after Patterson moved about ten feet to a better vantage point, fading into the trees again and being lost to the view a distance of two hundred sixty-five feet. And the reel of film ran out. Mm. And that's the famous sighting. So Gimlin uh, remounted and followed it on horseback, keeping his distance until it disappeared around a bend in a road, or in a road 300 yards away. Uh, Patterson called him back, to, uh, back at that point, feeling vulnerable on foot without a rifle because he feared that the creature's mate might be approaching. The entire encounter lasted less than two minutes. Next, Gimlin and Patterson rounded up Patterson's horses, which had ran off at all kinds of directions downstream uh, before the film began. Patterson got his second roll of film on his out of his saddlebag and filmed the tracks. The man tracked Patty for an entire mile, uh, or nearly nearly three miles, before they lost it because of heavy undergrowth. Mm, okay. When they went to their campsite about three miles away, they picked up a plaster, returned to the initial site, measured the creature's step length, and made two plaster casts, one of each of the best quality right and left prints. So I think I have Patty's left in there. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I have Patty's left. Interesting. Yeah, so that is the Patterson-Gimlin encounter. And you just touched on it too, but it did have breasts. Yeah, so Patty had... If you you have not watched this video, please go look at the Patterson-Gimlin film. Uh, It is heritage. 
I would be shocked to see, hear any of our listeners unless it's someone new to all this. If you're new to all this, please do. I really, yes. well, we'll get to it later, but I think it's probably the best evidence of Bigfoot's existence. Yeah, it's got to be top one or two. I can't think of anything else that even comes close. There's some there's some really shaky bad videos that are less than two seconds. This is almost a minute long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, There's some other videos out there that may be just as good, but it's nothing to this level where it's like... So... Yeah, she know. had prominent breasts, dark hair. She does look back. You can see it the one time. Yeah. Uh, they believed that she'd looked back three times, kind of keeping tabs on him. Yeah. But was not happy. So he's running full bore, uh, recording this thing. And when he finally gets there, he drops on his knees, all struck. You think that was f- fear-induced or? I think it was excitement. I think Just, the, just that? I think, yeah. You got to keep this man has, Patterson at this point, yeah. had been nothing but made fun of discredited, mm-hmm. hated, yelled at, called stupid, and all that spent stuff. Spent a lot of money. All of his money. Everything he scraped together mm-hmm. for this one moment. Yeah. And he gets there and he puts the camera up and once that, his body's just... Oh. He, I can't handle it. Yeah. it's the I can't even imagine the level of excitement that would be. It'd be like you finding a four-foot bowfin in the river. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. You would drop to your knees mm-hmm. and probably start crying. There's a three-footer in the other room, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then you could tell it in the video, and that's I think that really pushes to it. It seems like well above acting, and then the horse's reaction. Yeah, you can't that's tr- what we talked about is that let's say it's let's say it's a, a guy in a costume. Yeah, okay? and they rode in there with this guy in the costume, mm-hmm. and the horses watch this guy put the costume on, watch him walk across the creek, and do this. They're not going to freak out, right? Horses are going to watch him get dressed and be like, "Okay, that's Tim." <laughs> Tim. I mean, that's that's, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. And you can see that the horse doesn't get pulled back on the reins to make it jump. Right. It just does it. Yeah. It just does it out of mm-hmm. fear. Uh, it definitely seems the horse is panicked in the mm-hmm. video. Uh, it does. So the face, it's hard to say. The, it is a 1967 film. Yes. But it, you can see a face. You can see large mammillary glands or breast. And they're kind of set in a weird position if it were to be a human. Okay. They're kind of a little bit lower on the chest and a little, and if you notice, Patty is not the typical Bigfoot. She's done this, what you get described as hulking beast, no neck. Uh, she's more, that tapers like a triangle, like most Bigfoot seen today are wider at the shoulders mm-hmm. and taper down into littler hips. Uh, Patty is more like a barrel shape. Yeah. Uh, and she's not very tall for a Bigfoot. She's taller than most men. Right. For sure. But she's not very tall for a Bigfoot. Most things that Patty seems to have in this video point to female. Yes. And that points to other things. Most people have sightings of males, which points to a lot of theories that we've talked about on this podcast before of that juvenile males are most of your troublemakers that get seen. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the eight footers, these hulking behemoths that are, you know, before they learn their lessons. Uh, Patty seems to be a female that got caught. Corn almost uh, cornered in yeah, a certain area. And very agitated. I would be too. And take that one way out, mm-hmm. and that's keeping tabs on them, checking in, and just be devil's advocate. I mean, we're not so much devil's advocate, but if this were a fake, um, would they go through the effort of like attaching the boobs to it? You know, wouldn't that be harder? Oh, we'll get to, to do? The, we'll get to the costume. Yeah. Uh, if you want to call it a costume, or if you believe it's a costume. Um, another thing in the video too, um, you said you could about the shape and everything. You could also see the muscle definition, 
And that's with newer, like it, when they upgraded the film or whatever, you enhanced well, once it. Once we get to the film analysis part of this, there is a lot about that. Okay. Uh, I actually have a, well, I, yeah. No, Noah's analysis is what we're going to use. Okay. And he is a human muscular and skeletal anatomy uh, professor. Mm-hmm. Sounds so, legit. So he did a film analysis, and that's what he talks about. Okay. You can see that that's not something wearing a costume. It's something that's... It's a living thing. Yes, yeah. Uh, you can see muscle movement under the flesh. You can see fur. Like, you can see... It, a costume at this time would have had... Well, we can talk about the costume if you want to. A costume at this time would have had... The type of fur they were using was matte fur. So it's more like a carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at this video, you can see skin under some of the fur. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that means that each individual strand of hair was placed. If it were a costume, each individual strand of hair was punctured in, mm-hmm. uh, which we didn't start doing until the late 90s for costumes. Well, maybe they were just advanced, clearly. I mean, yeah, sure. 30 years earlier, and Steven Spielberg wasn't really doing anything in the 60s. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but the level, if you want to call this a costume, the level of detail wasn't matched until the mid-2000s. Gotcha. And they've... There is there well, they did a there's been several analysis of let's like saying trying trying to make the costume, uh some I can't think of their name off the top of my head, but some of the best costume builders in the world, uh, like oh what's that Henderson, I I don't anyways, know anyways there's some of the best costume builders in the world, took all the technologies and types of materials they had from the time and couldn't do this couldn't make they, they can't make patty yeah for the at the time we can make patty now sure. Oh, for I mean, sure. yeah. We have literally we have uh, synthetic flesh that they use that moves. I, I, I'm sure we can build a robot to walk just like it now mm-hmm. too. You know, I'm yeah. sure we can completely recreate it now. In 1967, I'm going to say probably not. No, I mean, keep in mind they were using basically a, a, a gun camera. Right. Yeah. To I film mean, it. Yeah. yeah. Think about. Yeah, it's crazy now. Not very technologically advanced. No, it, it weighed a good bit, and he was running with it. And it seems like if this was fake. I know we're getting we're getting really off track here. This was fake. There's a lot of extra work that went into it. A lot, and the budget to make a costume like that. I don't think he was cl- making that much money off he these things. He didn't have any money exactly. At this point. So, and so that that would mean if it were if it were fake, that would mean someone would have to fund this for him. Mm-hmm. And then what would be the point at that point to to hoax a Bigfoot thing in the middle of? bluff creek to film it for for the, and then have these two guys be the forefront of it all you know and there's a lot like there's a lot for that we'll get to that at the end mm-hmm. and i was gonna mention too earlier about the costume the guy i mentioned that the costume wearer yeah so there was like a he was an actor but he was like the guy that would wear the costumes in like the movies he was a, okay. like a stunt stunt guy yes i agree and he's like one of the most famous you know, stunt guys to wear costumes and stuff. And I think he was a French guy. For some reason, that's stuck in my head. I don't know if it's... Sure, that. sure, sure. But I think he was French a French man. actor or whatever, French stunt are we, man. Are we picking on the French uh, in a different episode? Uh, not in this one. Okay. But this one, he said... So they interviewed that guy, and, like, he talked about the film. He said, one, like you said, this would be the best costume ever made, um, you know, ever. He's like, and I would know, because I that's what I, my job is, to wear these costumes and the act in them but he said like we don't we don't have costumes that move like this even he said even if it was a costume we had to be one we'd never made like this before and to have actually move and function the way it does would be a something new that we've we don't have haven't done and he's like the number one 
like I want to call him an actor, but he's not. It's the guy that did the Godzilla costumes, right? He he was in Godzilla, like he was in Godzilla. Maybe, but I honestly I don't Anyways, know. I know I think I've seen him talk. I okay. don't know who you're talking about. But yeah, the technology today barely exists. Right. And then you brought up a good point: the cost. Yeah. This man did not have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know his actual financial standing at the time, but I'm sure he was not rich. Uh, I just seen that professional. So me and Emily keep looking at professional grade like costumes and a couple websites. Mm-hmm. And there was one Bigfoot one that was not nearly as good as what Patty's costume would be today. And it was like $15,000. Oh, my gosh. And it had a zipper down the back. Oh, my gosh. And that's the other thing is that in this video, Patty does not have a seam point. Right. Yep. And you can see some of her front, but you can see the whole side and her whole back side. Yeah. I mean, it would be it'd be very hard to put a seam not on the back or on the sides. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's really hard to put a seam in the front. And then who puts the seam on the front of a costume? Uh, maybe someone hoaxing a Bigfoot. I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh... No, you don't. The The point is you don't. Does. Yeah, exactly. Unless it zips up the front like a jacket. <laughs> but that's about it. All right. So, some details. Some extra details I have. So, according to Patterson and Gimlin, they were the only witness to their brief encounter with what they claimed to be a true genuine Sasquatch. Their statement agreed in general, but author uh, Greg Long notes a number, I have to flip the page, of inconsistencies. So here, I got some negatives for you. Ooh, okay. So I try not to do, I try not, I try to be as unbiased as possible, but uh, it's hard with this kind of subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, They offered somewhat different sequences in describing of how the horses reacted upon seeing the creature. Patterson in particular uh, increased his estimate of the creature's size in subsequent uh, retellings of his encounter. But in different contexts, Long argues that the discrepancies would probably be consistent or considered minor. But given the extraordinary claims made by both Patterson and Gimlin, any apparent discrepancies and disagreements in, in perception or in memory are worth noting. So they do have a couple little discrepancies. Okay. Height is one I don't care about. In anything, because we have proven time and time again, people can't judge how tall things are Correct. or how long things are. Correct. So, yeah, me and you looking at something 20 feet away, 30 feet away, we're going to guess different heights. I agree. So that's not one, but there were a couple other small ones. Just like mainly horse reaction, what happened, the sequence. Okay. But keep in mind, Gimlin said he was pretty much all, or he was pretty much in shock. And Patterson pretty much fell to his knees and being all struck when in he got sh- there. Yeah, in shock. So, yeah. I mean, I could see some memory problems happening. Yeah, there might be some little points of time missing. So the film defenders have responded by saying that uh, commercially motivated hoaxers would have given their stories straight uh, beforehand. Or they would, yeah, so they would have gotten their story straight beforehand and would not have any disagreements or discrepancies within each other if this was a straight-up hoax. And they would not have created a suit and have a creature with foreseeable objects featured in behavior. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of a positive note. If they were hoaxers, they would tell the exact same story. Like, they would, they would run it through. Because they're like, we're going to have to tell this to everybody. Yeah, and make sure it's mm-hmm. everything's consistent. Yeah. And a more serious objective concern is the film's timeline. This is important because... Uh, the Kodiakom number two movie film 
as far as we know, could only be developed by a lab containing a $60,000 machine and a few West Coast labs known to process one did not develop over the or did not did not do developing over the weekend. Patterson's brother-in-law, Al Denty, claims not to have remembered where he took the film for development or where he picked it up from. Wait, hold on. What's his brother's name again? Al Devent Devlopti. Uh, oh, okay, never mind. Okay, I thought you said Al Dente. No, not the pasta. <laughs> I was like, stop it! No, stop right now. This is a fake article. You can trick. <laughs> no, this is not fake. Uh, no, I I just can't read names. Gotcha. Okay. Phew. No, Al Dente. <laughs> I know. It'll be uh, Al Dente in my mind forever now. I'm sorry. Uh, so that's kind of a weird thing. Is it basically? Not saying that the equipment to develop this was, was he had film grade equipment, mm-hmm. so he had a you know a very expensive machine to actually uh, proof the proof the film. Yes, to actually make it into anything usable. Gotcha. There was only a couple of them. Nobody did developing on the weekends, and they kind of had it ready to go. So that's kind of a weird thing, and nobody knows where he took it. Hmm. Well, I could see him though on a positive note. Yeah. Being very secretive. I can see him driving over a state line. I can see him going somewhere else, being sure that anybody that may know what's going on doesn't know so it doesn't get taken or destroyed. And you don't know... There's no extra copies. We talked about it earlier as it being a hoax. Um, You know, he made connections with some people in Hollywood, obviously. What if this is one of those connections of a guy to develop the film? That could be. You know, and he just didn't want to talk about it, reveal his name and stuff like that. I I, I really think he'd be super secretive because... Bigfoot stuff goes missing all the time. Oh, yeah. Especially when, uh, you know, old, old Smithy shows mm-hmm. up. <laughs> old Smithy. Yeah. That's a t-shirt. Old Smithy. Yeah. We'll get the Smithsonian with, like, claws dragging in a Bigfoot and a Loch Ness monster. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, just dra- dragging yeah. him back. But... Yeah. Back into right. the cave. So, critics claim that too much happened between the film at 1.15 at the earliest, and the filmmaker arrived in Willow Creek at 6.30, uh at the latest so basically all of the problems with the timeline disappear if the film was shot a few days or hours beforehand and if that is the case one has to wonder what other details of the story are wrong uh the film's defenders retort that although the time window was tight it was doable so there's a lot of just at this point once again this is the most this is the most analyzed piece of film on the planet. planet, yep. Everywhere from the Pentagon to people in Germany to everybody has has sliced this thing apart. Yeah. Uh, the second you want the second most is mm-hmm. moon landing. Oh, I believe it. Doesn't shock me. But so everybody has little nitpicks, and it really just depends on which side you want to fall on. Mm-hmm. It really, really depends on that. If you, what, you what side you want proof, to. Yeah. For each argument. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of proof that this is a fake. And there's a lot of proof that this is real. Okay. So if you really, it's really going to fall on you guys at home to decide what you believe. Because ah. there's, there's proof either way. I don't care which way you want to cut it. There's film experts that say yes. There's film experts that say no. What evidence is it? I, I'm sure we're going to get it. We'll get to there. It. Don't All ask right. me that question. All right. I want to know the fake stuff because. We'll talk about that later. Okay. I have my own strong opinions. All right, so Chris Murphy wrote, I have, conf- uh, I have confirmed with Bob Gimlin and Patterson, definitely rode a small quarter horse, which he owned, not his Welsh pony, Peanuts. 
Also that Patterson had arranged to borrow a horse by the name of Chico for Bob, uh, for Bob, uh, for Gimlin to use. Uh, so he borrowed it from another Bob for Gimlin to use. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's why that sentence tripped very me up conf- so bad, because it said he borrowed it from Bob for Bob. Yeah, it's very I'm confusing. Like, it was Bob Harrison or Hermanius and mm. Bob Gimlin. Uh, did not have a horse that was suitable or old enough for the travel. So that's kind of a weird thing is that Bob was not on his personal horse. Mm, okay. And because his personal horse was very young for this kind of track. Gotcha. It's still hard to get to Buff Creek today. Mm. Uh, and people go do it all the time. Yeah. So this alone, is yeah, it back in time. the 60s. Yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's kind of some of the weird stuff. Uh, so we're going to get into a analysis. So let's talk about this real quick. There are hundreds of analysis for both sides of the argument. I tried to find a good negative. Okay. I really did. Not saying they're not out there. I mm-hmm. went to about page 17 on Google. It's pretty deep. Yeah. Um, I can't find one that explains why it's negative, like why it's fake. Okay. Pretty much it's like, hey, I'm this, I'm this guy. I have this much uh, criteria for a film analyzer, and this, it, this video is fake. And that's it. Yeah. They're most of the time, they're two or three paragraphs long. And all the ones that seem to be of a film analysis that are for a positive for the Patterson seem to be humongous. Okay. Uh, Meldrum did one with another guy. We're going to do the uh, uh, Nova David Harris Hennes, Henson. Noah David Henson's film analysis. Okay. Uh, there's just not a lot of good negative. And it really kind of bugs me is that all these people scream such negativities about this film, mm-hmm. which, sure, this is literally one of these things that is fought over constantly, and it should be. Mm-hmm. But I want to see why it's negative. And I was very disappointed that that information is not easily obtainable. It, it almost seems that way with a lot of things that, not that just the official narrative needs to be, something needs to be fake or needs to be true or even in that. But when you dig it, when you actually dig into something and look beyond the headline, it's normally the headline is the one that frames your whole thought about mm-hmm. everything. Once you really dig into it and find the substance to it, that's when you kind of really figure out if something's true or not, or if there's actually something there for anything, you know, to be. So for devil's advocate, mm-hmm. it may just be the people that doubt this photo don't take or doubt this film don't take it seriously enough to give it the time for correct analysis. For sure. And so they just say, hey, I'm this guy, and it looks fake to me. Right. And they don't give time to explain it to you because they think it's pointless. When the people that want to prove it correct or believe it is real, Mm -hmm. take the time to go through it with a fine-tooth comb and point out every positive. Right. And that could be a a devil's advocate why the negative side doesn't have much. Much on it, yeah. They just don't take it. They, they, They watch it. And they do their own in their head. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, that's fake for X, Y, and Z. Because they already and have it. I don't it. need it anymore in my time. They have it pre, what, the predisposition that it's going to be if, fake in their yeah, head? Yeah, probably. And they're just drawing the line there quicker. Yeah. That makes sense. But, so I couldn't find a really good film analysis. Like, we're going to go with this one. This thing talks about frames. It talks about seconds. It talks about what anatomical stuff you look at. And why, like, and why that's important. Okay. So I really, I'm just really disappointed, and I want to make that at home that I really tried for you guys to find a really good negative because I think it's important to bring both sides to the bat, right? And really look at it as a negative because there's just as much evidence, almost. Well, I mean, it really depends on how you want to draw. Just as much evidence that Patterson and Gimlin hoax this. 
I'm not in that camp. Right. Uh, but there is evidence to support that. There's a lot of weird stuff with this film. Like the timeline's a big one. And uh, there's a lot of little funky stuff that points at it maybe being a hoax. Mm-hmm. But I think it's heavily overshadowed. Gotcha. By okay. the subject. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so this is uh, Noah's Analysis is the name of this little section we're going to do. Okay. And uh, this is the Patterson Gimlin Film Analysis. This is from ghosttheory.com, which is kind of a comprehensive uh, cryptid paranormal website. Okay. Noah's Analysis has been everywhere. I just use the one from this website. Okay. Uh, he has his own website and everything like that. Gotcha. Uh, so a note from the author. My name is Noah David Henson. I've been a... I've been a a professor of human muscular and skeletal anatomy since 1984, both as a professional and as a student of uh, physical anatomy. I studied a collegiate, uh, oh my gosh, a lot of big words, basically uh, including primatology and human evolution. So he's been studying anthropology. So yes. he's been studying anthropology from, uh, from 1988 to 1993. Uh, with enough hours to establish a minor in a subject uh, attendant to my BFA of Texas State University. I've been examining the Bigfoot phenomena, respectively, and with an emphasis on the aforementioned skills in earnest since 2003. My initial interest in the subject goes back to my childhood in the 1970s. So this paper contributes a, a skeptical analysis of the digitalization black-and-white video versions of the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film available on YouTube. Here, he gives you the link. It is one minute and six seconds long. It's posted by YouTuber uh, named Squatchaholic on December 23rd, 2007. There's 100,000 versions of this video. Yes. They're all the same. Sourcing a digitally restored and enhanced video made by M.K. Davis. This paper also refers to part two of the 1997 NASI reports on Bigfoot written by Jay Gimlin or Gimman. Part two is available here, so it gives you a link. So here's the breakdown of his video analysis. So one to four seconds, forward and reverse playback of the figure in the forward ambient. It just, so you, if you really want to look this article up, you can look through it, but this just gives you second by second of what the figure is doing and what he's doing to analyze it. Mm-hmm. For anyone interested in the investigation, uh, the purpose of this film might detect, be art, might depict a man in a suit I recommend you watch the video several times. Uh, finger dis- uh, depressions and the pause button in various points allow you to progress through the examination of the gait, musculature, limb proportions, and the distribution of hair. All of which, uh, well, of all of which, a well-trained eye appears to be a non-human, which taken together excludes the possibility of a person in a costume. The most compelling frame for this examination of the footage occurs at thir- uh, second thirteen, and the. Uh, Frontal facing close-up at second 18. And the upper torso turns back and its arms spade at 21 to 23 seconds, in which the close analysis of the back muscles and the hip muscles can be undertaken from seconds 27 to 30, in which the thumb can clearly be seen to flex. Mm. So he, like, we're going to go through this. He really, really goes through this in a fine-tooth comb. Breaks it down a lot, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I never, I watched it again after the thumb thing. And you really do see it move. Really? I've never looked at that. And it's weird. I mean, if this was a man in a costume, the amount of detail that's... Anyways. Over the top. Yeah. So I got... He's got a little thing for each one of these seconds. Okay. Uh, but yeah. 
So at second 13, it's compelling because it shows the figure's right eye, viewer's left, along with the nose, lips, jaw, cheek, crown, and a hint of an ear. If this is a mask, it is the most ingenious mask ever made. First, it does not look like a mask of any known primate. Non-human primates have very thin lips and wide nostrils. But the figure here shows to have thick, bulbous lips and no, and no visible nostrils. These features discount the possibilities, at least, that the mask is, uh, is, is indeed such, was a store-bought or mail-ordered variety. If it is a mask, it is a custom made by a hoaxer, which at this point in the examination of the film, the author must conclude is a certainly a possibility. Mm. So at second 18, it's compelling because it reveals a figure's two uh, prominent breast. It is the excellent frame by which it is measured the length of the arms. The visible breast uh, once more makes it highly unlikely to it could be a suit, unless the hoaxer was so ingenious to add mammillary glands to the suit that it did not originally have them, as no store-bought suit would have had them. In order to depict a creature uh, that until this time had only been reported in the media as being male, it must be admitted, however, that such ingenuity is possible but unlikely. So they're saying he, he's really, I really like this analysis because yeah. he's really pointing at yes, no, yes, no. Very thorough. Mm-hmm. It is also the length of its arms taken together with its visible thumb flexation at second 28 discussed below that is considered a slightly most convincing feature of this figure. In uh, anthropology, a measurement called, oh gosh, I'm going to call IM. Okay. Yeah, it's a big long name, but it's a it's a biological measurement uh, for body like body figuring. Okay, it is used to convey the proportions of the arm in length relations to the legs. Uh, in humans, the IM is typically seven point. Oh, sorry, seven point. Oh, just point seven. Chimps have an IM of one hundred and seven. When gorillas have an IM of or of one hundred and seventeen. These numbers can be variation or a variety of variation sites around the web. The figure in the film has a measurement of between 85 and 90. Hmm. So it's so that's the proportion of arm to leg length. So it's in between like what a, ours would, a be, would and be a chimp. Yeah. It's clo- much closer to us, but yes. still a lot longer than us. Ours Correct. are 70. So I think that means basically our is it our arm? It's something like our arms are seventy percent of the length. I think that's what it's saying. Yes, of that's, our legs. That's what I'm taking from it. Yeah. Uh, and the gorillas are a hundred seventeen percent the length so of their legs. So over, they're a lot bigger longer. than their legs. Yep. Which makes sense. That adds up. Yeah. From the picture in my head. Yeah. So another way of looking at the arm length is to complete its length to the overall size of the body. The NASI report written by John Gimlick Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Scientifically and unequivocally establishes the height of the figure at 7.3 feet. Here, though, is how Gimlin calculates, or Gim, Gicklin. Yeah, it's I very, keep going to Gimlin. I know you do. Uh, calculates the height, and there's a big, long formula there. If you really want it, look up this article. I'm not reading it. Uh, but yeah, so he's quoting. An accurate uh, spatial reference has been estimated for the research pho- or photographs taken by Brian and... Hodson, oh gosh, Hodson in 1972 at the Bluff Creek site. So this is when they go back and they take pictures of the exact same site. Yes. In one photo, NASI's uh, figure H, uh, Hodgson is standing behind a fallen tree trunk that's also very visible in the Patterson-Gimlin film. 
holding a vertical scale measuring stick that is marked every six inches. In this photo, uh, his feet are visible. Uh, and he is in the same two axis or points of perspective places on the vertical scale. So basically both spots they could see the Bigfoot from. Mm-hmm. In the separate uh, reference photo taken by Brian and uh, Hodginson, it is seen uh, moving through a two-axis image plane, and the subject moves through the frame. Since the height of Hodgson's has been estimated, and since he is at the same two-axis point, Hodgson's height may be used to measure the subject's height provided in the scale of two photographs that can be matched. So basically, these guys went back out. I'm going to stop for a minute. And walk the same path? Yep. And okay. they had Hodgson. They knew how tall he was. Mm-hmm. He stood there in the exact same two-axis points that they both the film occurred in. And so they can estimate Patty's height off of that. Right. Okay. Uh, and the, both images, uh, so both images contained a dead tree, this, uh, the size of which had not changed during the interval of five years, which is used to match the scale of the two photos. Uh, during scaling, three points were used to validate uh, that the tree had not changed size. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is a lot. Is it, you're doing good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Figure six is a digital composition of a film subject that Hedgenson uh, in the same plane of common images scale. <sighs> yeah. So basically, yeah. They just keep taking pictures to make sure that it's accurate. Right. right. So they got that. Yep. So did they figure out the height then based on this? Yeah. So using the height scale of 7.3 as a scale reference, uh, they calculate the, the height of the pixels. Is, it's 161 pixels or 43 uh, units tall. The standard arm length is of a seven foot three human would be thirty eight point five inches, but the subject's arm to height ratio is thus that it's actually forty nine inches. Okay, so a lot longer. So if a human was that big, yeah, he would have thirty eight inch arm span. Mm-hmm. Instead, he has almost a twelve inch longer arm span than that. Mm-hmm. And what's weird though, so keep in mind, what he really starts focusing on is the thumb flexation. Okay. So if he had arm extenders, so that's their fake hands, and oh, he's gotcha. swinging the arms. So he's holding sticks inside the arms of the costume. Correct. The hand would not be moving. It wouldn't be flexing. We did not have. I mean, we. I guess we did have that technology at the time, but we're talking now. We're talking from, you know, probably a forty or fifty thousand dollars suit, you know, of half a million dollars. So, right. Exactly. You know, it's really jumping up. There's a, a another video too of a Bigfoot where. It's like crouching down the edge of a hill or something, and then it looks appears to stand up and throw a rock at the cameraman. Mm, uh, yeah, and like they were saying in that video, and you can see the size of the rock. If anything is that big, if it's a suit, the arm is super long on it. It would have to be a guy in a suit with an extended arm, but that extended arm would have to be strong enough to grip the rock, pick it up, and then throw it, and right. then coordinate it to let go at the right time, where it actually flies. That, that's that's so much extra stuff. People take that kind of stuff for granted yeah. in these films. I never realized the thumb flexation and how big a deal that is. I never noticed it either, so I'm going to have so to go little, back and look. It's so little, but as he's saying, as he goes to say in this article, I've huh? read this whole article a couple times, as he goes to say that if it was like arm extenders... You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go through the effort to move it just that little for that film. This is a minute-long film. Yeah, exactly. This would be pretty much a half-million-dollar costume at this point. Yeah, for a minute long. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Like I said, this is he does a really good job. It's really comprehensive. Uh, he even starts breaking down and comparing it to a later uh, video that was on the Proof is Out There episode Yeah. about Bigfoot uh, that, that, uh, that ran. 
uh, like did a run through yeah. and how much it compared to Patty and how similar it was. So the, the, he leads towards it being of something similar. Um, you can see, I'm, I'm getting to it. Uh, the definition of the calf muscles that the creature walks, he starts going into that. Uh, man-made first, it would not be seen in a man-made fursuit. Uh, so once again, this is a simple fabric that does not provide any definition to the body. It typically just hangs over a person wearing it. Right, yeah. Whereas if, if this were a person, it, it looks like it would be a form-fitting, you know, like the spandex suits. It would, it would have to be, yeah, it would be crazy. To show all that muscle definition. Because you can, when it does, like, it's big... Uh, you can see that you can see leg muscles. Yeah. Move. So that's when, what he starts talking about. When it does that big, like, turn back to the camera and swings its arms, you know, the kind of the famous picture everyone sees of this. Mm-hmm. You can see its whole leg when it plants its right leg, I think, into the ground. You can see all the muscles flex up its side. So, and then there's also a flexation in the middle of the foot, which is commonly seen in apes, but not in humans. It is an upward turn of the toes that would be impossible to see in a person in a costume. Mm. So he starts really going into it. Um, they start comparing skull analysis and stuff. Uh, they use a gigantopithecus skull estimate. To compare? Yeah. And how similar that is to okay. this thing. But how not similar it is to a man. Uh, and how almost impossible it would be to like look out of this costume. Okay. If it were such a thing, um, uh, he gives it a the ex for its height and everything. If it's proportions to a human, uh, they think it would be somewhere around seven to eight hundred pounds tall. If the furry creature was nothing more than a man in a suit, Patterson and Gimlin would have needed to find a human the size to fill a costume in a team's uh, in a team to help him get in it. Right. Yeah. So very much they would need a seven foot tall man. Uh, they said if this is a cost, basically at the end of this analysis, uh, they start comparing all kinds of stuff. But the only way this would work is if you had a man this big to wear this thing tight. I was going to say that when you say that big, not just that tall. No, 800 pounds. Yeah. And to fill this thing out and be able to walk like that. And you can also, so another uh, another crazy thing is you can see... The, the trap or the trap muscles, the trapezius muscles. Mm-hmm. So how adult male Sasquatch or what we're assuming are adult male Sasquatch have no neck because their traps are humongous. Right. Patty still has traps. You can see it in the film, mm-hmm. but they're just not giant. They're not, he- yeah, they're not huge. Yeah. Like okay. the like the yoked out ones mm-hmm. you see uh, depicted all over the, the place. The one I seen was, didn't have a neck. He was big? Yeah. Well, he was a juvenile male, I'm fairly certain. So he goes through more and more detailed analysis, but basically at the end of it, for this to be a person in a suit in 1967, it would probably, it ends up being probably about a million dollar suit. And then you have to have a man that fits it. And the guy that fits it. And so, and then have nobody ever rat on you ever. Because every person that ever said, I will not mention names because they're horrible people. I do believe so. Uh, Every person has not been. Nobody that's ever said they were in the suit. There's been like three or four people. Yeah, that said they were in. The, they were the guy in the suit. Nobody's ever been that big. Right. Exactly. The one guy's like Bob Gimlin sized, which is not a big man. Bob Gimlin's like the size of Emily. Yes. He's he's not a big man. <laughs> I love him to death. He's not a big man. Yeah. Uh, so it, we know it wasn't him in the it, suit. You know it wasn't. I can't. Somebody. You, that's one of the things that they said it was Bob in the suit. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I, I think Bob could fit in the arm of the suit. Maybe there was like four of them. Maybe it was like him and all his brothers. Bobs. Yeah. 
uh, we know there's two Bobs. Maybe there's eight. Yeah, the yeah, it's the other suit. Bob. It's all Bobs. See, they weren't lying to you. It's Bob in the suit. It's just all of them. It's yeah. There's nine of them. Uh, so the basically the end of this analysis, and I didn't know the weird little points he was starting to point out about like the foot, the mid tarsal foot break. Yeah, and then the thumb flexation. And how big of a deal that actual that fl- that thumb flexation is? Right. Yeah. That is a crazy big deal because it it almost rules out the costume aspect of it. It really does. I yeah. really think it does, and I think that's kind of the end of this analysis is mm-hmm. to show you that for it to be a man in a suit would take extraordinary. It'd be almost easier to find a real Bigfoot. <laughs> You're right, actually. Uh, that for it to be a man in a suit and to have this costume created in 1967. Would have probably been somewhere around a million dollars and impossible to find a man to fill it. Because you need a buff man that weighs seven to eight hundred pounds. Right, yeah. You don't need, I, I, you ever seen a, you ever seen my 800 pound life? Oh, on TLC or something like that? Yeah. That person's not fitting in this costume. No, it had to be someone just jacked. Right. It has to be 800 pounds of muscle. Right, exactly. Mr. Olympia type. And they have to be able to walk in the Pacific Northwest. Well, Lou Ferrigno, what was he doing around that time? I don't know. Andre was Andre still? He was alive. Yeah. He was thrive. Wait. Oh. Uh-oh. It might have been a young Andre the Giant. I think it would have still I think he wouldn't have fit in it. Like I think it would have been loose on him. The costume? Yeah, cuz he was tall, but he wasn't that big. Like especially when he's young. Maybe not then. Yeah, maybe not that big yet. I'm trying to think 67. No, I think he would still been a young like seven foot tall, four hundred, three hundred pound teenager. Um, three hundred pound teenager. I think he was. Um, man, yeah, it would, it would take quite the specimen to fill that out, and then to find him and to get him out in the middle of the woods out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, hmm, could be Andre the Giant though. I have to look into his history. It could be Andre the Giant. Yeah. So at the end of the day. The extraordinary circumstances of this film lead me to believe that the Patty is an actual female Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. A rarity in itself. Very. That Patterson and Gimlin did set out to make a a pseudo-documentary about Bigfoot, and they did come across Bigfoot. Uh, Because he did pick an area that he'd been researching. He did pick an area that had a lot of Bigfoot activity because he wanted to make it authentic. It had the footprints. It had the activity recently. And this is literally the perfect storm. And that's probably why it hasn't really happened again in the same nature. Right. Is because to have a film quality camera, to be ready at any second, Mm -hmm. and to have a Bigfoot in front of you, that's a lot of stuff to happen at the same time. Well, wait till we we get our Patterson-Gimlin version 2. Well, ours won't be a Bigfoot. Well, that's a different thing. Yes. That'll be version one, but we're going to get a Bigfoot film too. I got a feeling. But for everybody that's ever said there's no proof of Sasquatch has never really looked into it. That's true. Everybody, I hate when they're like, there's no proof out there about it. No, there is. There's not, maybe they're not conclusive proof, Mm -hmm. but there is proof out there. You just have it. You don't want to look into it. You don't want to know what may exist. You want to be negative about the subject. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you're told. Yes. It's supposed to not exist. The and I, I fully believe that seeing is believing. Uh, you don't have to believe in Bigfoot, but don't yell at me and say there's no proof out there that Bigfoot exists. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of evidence. First off, we have all kinds of unidentified DNA samples, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole. Right, yeah. But this, I think the Patterson-Gimlin film is an authentic Sasquatch. I think this is the best 
video evidence we've ever had of a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And it shows to this day there are still professional video in- analyzers that are arguing over it. And, absolutely. You know, what is this now? 40, 50 years later? We're closing in on um, 50 years. Well, 45 right now. Yeah. So we're closing on 50. So there's still 45 years later mm-hmm. arguments about the validity of this film. Right. And that, how many films can you say that over the past where they're still not only breaking it down and trying to scrutinize it, but they're enhancing it and still scrutinizing it. So trying- even with the moon landing stuff, which is the next probably most analyzed film on the planet, mm-hmm. everybody on the negative side, nobody's a professional. Mm-hmm. There's not one in my, and I may be wrong here, but there's not one actual academic level professional saying, that's no, pu- this is real. Like, th- this is fake. Gotcha. Like, that's, th- pu- that's publishing it online yes. like these guys are for this. Like, figure. these are actual, like, there are actual, like, retired FBI uh, video analyzers and stuff that mm-hmm. are saying that this is not a man in a suit. They won't say what it is, but no, this this is an authentic video and that's not a man in a suit. Yeah. Hmm. And, and they, ain't it weird that those two videos kind of came out relatively close to each other? I don't think so. Like a few years of each other. I mean, I don't think it's weird. Oh, okay. I just think that's more of a coincidence thing. Yeah. I, well, that's a weird coincidence. Yeah. Probably the most two scrutinized videos of Bananas all time. and apples. Happened. And that, that's, that's because it's before CGI, so you can't, like, now everything can be thrown away as CGI. True. Every, literally everything. And you can get pixel matching now. Oh. So that's why it's like, you can't believe anything you see now. I don't no, care if there's a second Patterson Giblin video. You can't believe there's it. There's always going to be doubt because... Yeah. You know, you almost have to go through like this kind of scrutiny or analysis. You, it wouldn't matter. Well, I mean, with even pixel matching stuff now with uh, some yes. CGI, it doesn't matter. You, I, it can I mean, pass. It can be a fake and pass is real and if, vice versa. If someone wants to make a fake, like a true legit fake though, and really get it through all the filters of being like highly scrutinized or picked through, like this one has been, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll still find stuff that would point to it. Like I'm sure if someone made a fake one now. They wouldn't make the thumbs flex, you know what I mean? Just out of random habit, you know what I mean? Even if it's CGI, like they probably wouldn't go into that much detail. The amount of detail, I mean, I'm sure they go into a lot, but with this film, Patterson Gimlin in particular, there's so much more detail in it. And then even with as technology has progressed, I think it just came out this year. They released a new version of it where they took the stills of just yes. Patty and they isolated it yes, they, and they played it walking across and like digitally enhanced it and everything. It, it even looks more authentic. It just makes it even more real looking. If that makes sense. Like it's harder to say this is a guy in a suit even more so now. And that just came out this year. Mm-hmm. And for Patterson and Gimlin, let's talk about the men. Okay. They have never backed down. Right. Have never faltered. There are a little bit of discrepancies in their stories. Mm hmm. But like some people point out that that probably points it to it being more real. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's not rehearsed. It wasn't rehearsed when they started saying it. And it's like usually minor. The yeah, minor, it's nothing. Like oh, it's just little stuff. It's he's height. six inches taller this time than he was last time. You know, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is the most authentic. These men have been ridiculed their entire lives. Patterson is no longer with us. Gimlin still is. Yep. Uh, but they have been scrutinized their entire life about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they withstood the test of time against it. And I think the community, it's weird. The community as a whole does owe them a lot. For sure. Now we can have Bigfoot conferences. You can openly talk about Bigfoot. There's Bigfoots in people's yards. There's, you know, we went, we were just camping this weekend Mm -hmm. at a campground. About every third camper had a little Bigfoot in the yard. Yep. You know, when these men were out here, that was nothing more than fairy tales. It would not be the cultural phenomenon Mm -hmm. it is now. 
Yeah, if I, it really, for I them. really think so. I think that is correct. Or it would have taken maybe a different. It wouldn't be where it is today. That's for sure on that. So Patterson, thank you, Bob. If you ever hear this, thank you. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the cast. I enjoy the signature. I have your signed picture over there too. Hey, I got one too. Yeah, Jay did get one. We got different ones to make sure they were different. Yep. Uh, anything else to add about the Patterson Gimlin film? Um, nothing really to add, but I encourage you, if you have not seen it, yes, look definitely. it up. If you haven't seen the new, like, enhanced version, updated, whatever, look it up. It's it's awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. You can see some Bigfoot um, detail that really you wouldn't see anywhere else. Yeah, uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so once again, we have Patreon. Uh, that's, you know, it's basically Patreon picked content is what goes on there. Same stuff as our main episodes. Yep. But it's, it's a lot Patreon of fun. picked. Uh, we do meet and greets and stuff on there. Patreon-inspired episodes. Patrons come on and do their own episode mm-hmm. if they'd like. Um, we have t-shirts for sale. You know, Facebook and email is about the best way to get a hold of us for that now. We're working on looking at getting a website made to make that process a little easier. Yep. Uh, um, and if you guys haven't left us a review, just stop on by. give us Leave us a review, whether it's good or bad. Or f- nope. Five stars only. You know. no, I don't care what you write in the comment below. But please only do five stars. We do enjoy reading the comments, though. We so. read every one of them, just so you guys know. Yeah. I've read every one of them. We read them all, and multiple times. Some of them, multiple times, because they're just so fun. Jay likes the ones where the guy says, I'm bossy. It's very funny to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wants to get that on a t-shirt. I do bad. All right. Well, I've been the great and powerful mystery. And I've been, um, forget what it was at the top of this episode, but I'm still Jay. <laughs> And together we've been Crypt the Corn Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Bluff Creek stomping episode. Oh. And we'll catch you next week with the more Monsters and Mysteries. Bye. You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical.